Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Uh-oh. Okay, don't panic. Remember what the instructor said. If you ever get into trouble, all you need to do is... Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> Stupid sexy Flander. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me as always is Nick. What up? That's me. Do it. Out Do here. it. Welcome to the, the Donk Boys. <laughs> that sounds bad. I'm not great at intros. Uh, like so, Nick, it. it's been a long time since we've talked about like knights and medieval warfare, medieval right? Medieval shit. We're going to talk about a whole lot of knights getting brained. You ready for that? Let's do it. Because this is the Battle of the Golden Spurs. If there is, if there's uh, any any Belgians or French, I guess, out there, they're probably like, oh, hell yeah, right now. This is, this is <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever made the Belgian contingent of our listeners <laughs> happy. Today's the day. Hopefully we'll do an episode about waffles soon. I like waffles. Now, if you remember back a couple dozen episodes, I'm not going to look it up what the episode number was, probably like 50 ago or something, we, we talked about the time a massive army of French knights was shot to hell by British longbowmen and drowned in fields of mud and shit during the Battle of Agincourt. Good episode. Agincourt. Yes. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> uh, well, buckle up. Uh, also, if you didn't get that joke, go back and listen to the episode. Uh, because this time we're going to be talking about more French knights getting completely owned, this time by a bunch of Flemish, Flemish militiamen during the Battle of the Golden Spurs. And no, we're not talking about cowboy boot titty tassels. <laughs> Actually, I guess we kind of are, but whatever. Before we get there, we do have to touch on the Franco-Flemish War and how it got started, because it's equally dumb. Like all wars, <laughs> Like all wars of the day, this one boils down to inbred white dudes beefing over turf. We've been here before, right? Mm, yes, plenty it's of one, times. It's one of our it's one of our greatest podcasting rules uh, that most conflicts are just about old white people burf, beefing over turf, burfing over burf. Can't fucking speak. I got I got shack brain. <laughs> Though in this case, it's mostly just one inbred guy, and that is the uh, French king Philip the Fourth. Also known as Philip the Fair, which I will Philip not be calling. The Fair. Yeah, I will not be calling him that because who gave dumb. him that name? Was that him? Where he went? Probably. Like, hey, can I go with, you know, Philip the Fair? Can I go with Dragon? I want to be. I want to be King Dragon. In uh, science in high school, it was a general science. She said, uh, "Put your names and then uh, any uh, nickname you might like to be called." And I was like, "Oh fuck it, this is my chance." Because you know how much I like nicknames or like team names. It is a common thread with you, that's for sure. So, one, I wanted to go with Dragon. She didn't like it. Immediately gave up, but fucking Dragon. That would be the shit. Call, call me Dragon Knight. Uh, <laughs> now, old Phil had come to the throne. Yeah, I'm going to call him Phil. I don't know why I find that name funny. When it comes to, like... Because nobody's like going to tremble before King Phil. King Phil. <laughs> Yeah, like, anyway, old Phil had come to the throne not by being born into it, by marrying the Queen Regent uh, Joan the First. Though, don't think this is some kind of rag-to-riches story or something. Phil was a nobleman from a very powerful family, and like most marriages of people like that, it was one of political convenience and power consolidation that ended up creating a dynasty. He ended oh. up becoming king at 17 years old. Oh. So, what were you doing at 17, you fucking slob? Failing I was at king. school. Yeah, I, I was in basic training, so Phil really owned me. <laughs> yeah. Fucking weird flex, man. I was kind of hoping he was going for that 90-day fiancé thing. This is more of a married at first sight type deal, because they're like, hey, Phil, you're getting married to this one chick, and he was like, yeah, okay. So he, has, he can say no. True. 
Though it turned out when you give the throne to a 17-year-old, he's going to act like one. He uh, he was desperate to strengthen the French throne oh. as much as he could. I thought he was going to master- masturbating all over the throne. <laughs> he's just wandering through the halls, honking people on their chests and calling them dicks. He... he he wanted to like strengthen the French throne, but he wasn't great at it. Um, he set up a dense bureaucracy that involved like several layers of ministers to do most of his job for him. While that might sound like like a best case scenario for a boy king, it really wasn't. All that really he he pretty much just had it in place for plausible deniability. You know what I mean? Like he uh, he would do something and then fail, right? And then he'd be like, "Well, I, it was this minister did it, not me." Ah, uh, yes. And then he just fired the minister. Oh, he's he's one of those types of leaders. Yeah, but if if something good happens and like the minister actually had something to do with it, he's like, that was all Phil, baby. <laughs> Everything's coming up Phil. <laughs> so he was every E7 in the United States military, I guess. <laughs> yes. Uh, when Phil took the throne, uh, France's forever enemy, England, was actually ran by Edward I., who, uh, which might be ringing a bell in some people's head, but he was also known by Edward the Longshanks of Braveheart fame. That guy. Ooh. But he was a vassal to the French king. Like, so in the very beginning, you know, Longshanks had to listen to Phil Shanks, and uh, most of this was like based on the fact that that French crusader armies and kings um, were pretty powerful, and you know, it was it was all based on like crusader type power and like the crusader states and i'm not going to go into it too far just know that the the french king controlled technically controlled england at the time but by 1291 the two sides pretty much began to fall apart and only three years later they'd be at war because phil sucks at his job i mean uh, all, all phil had to do is like not fuck up he couldn't do that which like i get it i guess i mean it's hard to do when maybe he had some like a conscious say, hey, hey, don't fuck this up. Yeah, I got that even... going on in my head, and then I end up fucking it up. Yeah, imagine that voice doesn't exist because you're a king and you can do whatever you want. That's uh, that's how I see this kind of going. You know what oh, I mean? Oh yeah, well, I don't have that king mindset, so I don't. Uh... Yeah, you don't have that big king energy. Yeah, <laughs> would love a throne though. That'd be pretty sweet. I mean, a throne's a throne's just a fancy chair. You got a fancy chair. I it's do the, not. Like, my chair a... in the bees. Technically, uh, like, there's chunks missing from it. <laughs> Does it have a cushion on it? Barely. Man, you're good to go then. You're king <laughs> of the barracks. Fuck that. I'm about to go back home. <laughs> no, like, this didn't go sh- great for Phil and the French. Um, they pretty much did nothing during the war except lose and then take over a little bit of territory only to lose it again. Um, so, not only did he not strike a decisive win like he wanted, uh, he. He took what like, had been a budget surplus that, uh, that the last king had left and rapidly tanked the French economy by fighting wars and built up an endless deficit, uh, which forced him to raise taxes, which made more people hate him. Ooh. Like uh, Phil, was also, Phil was also very bad at diplomacy. Uh, the two sides that eventually came together at the peace table at uh, 1303. Uh, and one side, uh, one way to bring the sides together was to marry the families into one another, as was custom at the time. Uh, you know, like everybody's uh, like the, the old being like, I just want to be treated like a princess or a prince or whatever. But that turns out you just, that means you get like human, human trafficked into a marriage <laughs> that you don't want to be in. I just want to be treated like a princess. That's, I say that sometimes. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell. Uh, uh, someone that I'm going to treat you like a princess. I'm going to marry you off to my neighbor so I can control his flower garden. <laughs> it's a shitty flower garden, but I it's fucking not, want it. But it's mine. Yeah. This meant, uh, so Phil married his daughter Isabella off to Edward's son, Edward II. Uh, but all this did was press pause on a much worse war because Edward II and Isabella would eventually produce a claimant to the French throne. Uh, which would then go on to trigger the Hundred Years' War. I thought so, you meant a divorce battle. Like the, those wars can... Those are devastating. The, the battle of every other weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that was me growing up. Damn it. <laughs> I'll see you at the fields of the family or the friend of the court, sir. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, while all this is going on, things were also heating up between the French and the Flemish. Now, the county of Flanders... Stupid. <laughs> stupid, <laughs> stupid, sexy Flanders. Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. <laughs> nothing at all. Nothing at all. That's, that's the intro. That's the fucking intro. It has to be. I can't, I can't help it. Please. I'm I'm sorry, Flanders and the people of Belgium. Oh, I we're Belgium. mocking your entire hi- history based on The Simpsons, and it's not going to stop. So just log off now. <laughs> That's who we are. <laughs> you must be new here. So the county of Flanders had technically been part of France for a very long time at this point, since the Treaty of Verdun signed back in 843, which was like the treaty that split apart Charlemagne's empire amongst his sons, but. Like, the county always kept a bit of self-determination, and, you know, they, they pretty much ran their own affairs. Okay. Uh, much like the time that Flanders attempted to get, or attempted to look after the Simpson children when they were taken away by the court, oh. and they kept their independence. <laughs> See, this is working. This, this is making awesome. this work. This, yes, it works perfectly. <laughs> The, the the fucking uh, the, the the Flemish ran their own newspaper in the house and it was the, the Todd News or whatever I fucking can't remember I, I fucked that up because I'm forgetting Flanders was independent from uh, I, it, didn't, it doesn't work anymore I ruined it moving on instead of kneeling to the throne and just kind of going along with the whole thing the Flemish kind of did their own thing the county became incredibly rich as the rest of France suffer, suffered under idiocy of a few kings for instance, Phil's dad ran up a debt, which he uh, then blew up and inherited. Nice. And uh, yeah, he made it better for a couple months, but then made it way worse because uh, he couldn't handle anything. Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, but Flanders just kept on living its best life. Like they had their own uh, circle of nobility that it, like that ran all their major cities, and they all were doing pretty well. One Flemish ruler, Count Philip of Alsace, a lot of Philips in this one. It's Phillips, really all the way, it's Phillips all the way down. Came to power in the area. He uh, pulled the straight-up Crusader King's game move and leveraged his wife's inheritance to take over an entire neighboring county. Oh, you know how pissed I would be if my <laughs> husband took my inheritance? Well, it didn't. She, like, he didn't take it. Like, she inherited something there, but it, like this is you know the 1300s or whatever. The guy's going to end up ruling it. But by... It almost I sounds take, like he took it. <laughs> oh, he he it was definitely some bit of, a bit of theft here. Women don't exactly have agency back then. Um this meant that the that Flemish count's territory spread to only 25 kilometers away from the capital of France, Paris, you know, mm. and uh which is where the king is. So like p- power is rapidly approaching him and so this is kind of hard to explain. The king of France was himself a feudal lord that controlled all over all other feudal lords, right? But he also controlled his own fiefdom, right? Like that he inherited from his own lineage, but that his own fiefdom was not the entirety of France. Does that make sense? No. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so consider it this way. Um, if you own a house, you own your land, right? Right. Mostly. You own your house, you're going to pay taxes on your house. Uh, and the, the, the government over you is going to inherit, is, is going to take the tax. They're going to use it probably for stupid shit. Um, but like, and they're taxing all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, but the government doesn't own your house. They just like own like the shitty city hall building down the street. Right. But like some really big wealthy landowner is going to come in and, and buy up like half the fucking town, like the cult that owns Yelm. Yes. Like the government of Yelm owns very little of Yelm. Does it, does that, oh, does that okay. make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you okay. got me there. I like that. Okay. So in this situation, the king of France is the city government, right? And uh, Philip of Alsace is an incredibly rich landowner. And he now owns significantly more land than the king himself. <laughs> so that's a, obviously, That's a flex from where I'm from. That's a huge fucking flex. And this pissed <laughs> off Phil a lot. The French Phil, I mean. Yeah. Especially after his war with England was uh, like going to shit. It, it's 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 hard to well so it, it pissed off the French king and things weren't going great in France all right it's hard to say he was successfully bringing more power to the throne 
as the county of Flanders, stupid sexy Flanders, was doing much better than like the all of France, right? Right. And, and this all happened much before Phil came to the throne, but it, it was not getting any better. Flanders was getting more and more powerful. <laughs> stupid sexy Flanders. <laughs> I really wish I had a soundboard. God damn Yo, it. Okay. We should all be thankful that I do not have a soundboard. I'm getting a soundboard. It's official. Uh, but so while all this is going on and Phil is tanking all of France, there's this one county that just like, that sucks, bro. You're great. <laughs> They're fucking thriving. Yeah. And he's like, God damn, I'm supposed to be king of, I'm supposed to be their king too. God damn it. <laughs> They're supposed to be suffering like everybody else. But this conflict was not specifically just between the French king and the Flemish count. Flemish society itself was largely split between French-speaking loyalists called Lilies and Flanders nationalists called Claws. Those are both short for local words, which I am not going to try to pronounce. But they're also popularly known as those times. And you actually can see a lot of this today from Wallonians and Flemish people in Belgium. Uh, the the completely split in half and some people want Flanders to be a thing and some people want Wallonia to be a thing this kind of exists to this very day but with significantly less murder so that's good oh yeah that's an upside it's more of a polite disagreement these days (laughs) rather than like I'm gonna brain you with this hammer let me get my broad sword out (laughs) yeah so this was more of a a split between the, the royalty and the aristocracy of Flanders rather than peasants Peasants didn't really give much of a shit, and most of the peasants were natives of land, being the, the Flemish. Um, some people will probably strongly disagree with me on that, and that's fine. I have no horse in this fight, except it doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> so if, if you're like a Wallonian that's like, we were here first! Cool, man, I believe you. I, I, whatever. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I don't, I don't have a dog in this fight, man. Uh, but just know that society is pretty well split, along with the aristocracy, right? Cool. Glad we hashed that one out. The French knew this as well and attempted to win over local aristocrats over to their side while the Count did the same thing for his side. Long story short, Flanders is a land of contrast and we're going to move on from that. Because of their wealth, the king attempted to tighten his control over Flanders, citing a fact that they were not paying enough taxes, which is something that he just kind of changed out of nowhere. Because hmm. like, um, France did benefit from Flanders being so successful. They just didn't benefit like a lot. Like as much as the king wanted because, you know, they kind of did their own thing. Anyway, after hundreds of years of being left to do their own thing and Oh wow, they lasted that long. Oh God, yeah. Pretty much from the the time the treaty was signed all the way up until the thirteen hundreds. France France kinda sort of just was like, okay, you guys keep doing Flanders stuff. We're gonna be over here. Nice. There's some flare-ups here and there, but they were largely on their own. Now, uh, the king's overstretching of his power pissed off the Count of Flanders at the time, the uh, Guy of Damphir. So Guy uh, attempted to talk things over with King Phil, who straight up refused to have an audience with him, saying that he was not a high enough ranking noble to deserve a audience with the king. Oh. Yeah, not good. So with nothing else to do and nothing else to leverage, Guy, or Guy, went over to King Edward of England, Longshanks, I mean, and attempted to arrange a political marriage of his own with his daughter and Edward II. Now, this is before Phil did the same thing. The war is still going on. Political moves are being made. Yeah. So Phil got a tip off and quickly arrested Guy and his sons until, until they, forced, uh, they were forced to call off the wedding. So, like, look, you can sit in jail all you want, but we're not letting you out until you call this marriage off. And you can't give away your daughter at the marriage because you're in jail, so you're fucked. So, they're like, okay, fine, we call off the marriage. Then Phil arrested Guy's daughter and threw her in prison until she died. Yikes, my man. Not how you make friends. No. No, Yeah, it's not great. If that wasn't bad enough, Guy was called before the king and told that all of the key cities of Flanders, which fell under uh, Guy's personal control, would be taken to royal protection because clearly he couldn't be trusted. Finally, saying that he was done fucking around, Guy straight up went to Edward, threw all the marriage, uh, the political marriages out of the way, uh, who was, remember, in the middle of war with France and asked for an alliance to fight the French. Like, all right, let's just do this. Oh, I thought he was going to say, uh, can I marry you instead? 
How about a political marriage between us? Because, damn, son. You're dummy thick. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. <laughs> this actually, he said that. Guy, uh, that historical figure, definitely said, sir, you're a dummy thick. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me get in them sheets. Now, um, I'll be your Mr. Little Cum Dumpster. Too far. <laughs> uh, now, Edward agreed. Because uh, obviously, right? Like, why wouldn't he? And uh, the so the response to that, the French king found out pretty fast. And so he annexed the entirety of Flanders to be held under royal domain rather than the count. This alliance with the English king would not mean a whole lot, unfortunately, for the people of Flanders or Guy for that matter. As old Edward, Edward Longshanks found himself balls deep in the Scottish War of Independence of Braveheart fame at the same time. Uh, that he was fighting France. So, like, he didn't have a lot of troops to, like, send over and reinforce Flanders. No. Though, though he did try. Eh, I'm not going to go into it because not, not a lot, a whole lot happened with him. He's busy with Mel Gibson. Yeah, this guy just keeps screaming at me about freedom. I don't get it. <laughs> freedom! Uh, after limited successes, uh, so, like, the war started. France invaded. And uh, the the, Fl- the Flemish were doing pretty good, kicking out the French invaders. But they knew it was like the the weight of numbers is not on our side here. Uh, a temporary truce was signed between the two sides, uh, and the count was hoping that they could use that time to negotiate a lasting peace and maybe forget about this whole, you know, that time that I joined up with your most hated enemy to stab you in the back and everything will be cool again. Uh, but Phil had other plans. The same day that the truth that the truth expired in January of 1300, the French invaded again. Ooh. And this time, the Flemish would not be able to hold them off. By May, the entire con- uh, county of Flanders was under French control, and Guy was arrested. Damn it. I thought the, f- the fucking Flanders would hold them off. It's an army of Neds. <laughs> yeah. Operation Diddly Diddly did not work out. <laughs> no. It's like that episode of Flanders gets fucking mad. Oh, god damn, diddly, dig dog crap, this sucks. <laughs> Phil toured the county and, like, you know, just a giant countywide dab on the haters there because, like, look, you tried to fight me and I took you over. Now look at how cool I am. So he installed his own local ruler uh, to, to run it all before fucking off back to France to do king stuff. And uh, uh, the noble patricians of the rich Flemish cities quickly threw in their lot with the king in order to make sure. Because, like, they were really worried that the king was going to swoop in and just kind of noble domain everything. And they would lose all their money like they had done to Guy uh, or Guy. So, like, they're like, yeah, we're totally on the king's side now. We're cool, right? I can keep running Bruges or whatever. Uh, but also, uh, there's a lot of internal fighting between feudal lords and the count over the lo- the the amount of local control that they were supposed to have. So, like the the patricians of the city were in uh, kind of in the same kind of fight that the that the count was in with the king, where no, 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 we should be able to control everything, set our own taxes, and then the overall county just kind of gives what we give you. And the count was like, no, this is how things should be. There, it, it was a, a a smaller version of the bigger fight. Pretty much. Okay. But at the same time, all these count or all these uh, patricians just kind of chuck their lot in with the king because now obviously the, the count is powerless now. Uh, though some, not all, Flemish nobles remained on the side of, uh, of Guy. A, a small amount. Really? A very small amount. Which will become smaller, which we'll talk about. Uh Long story short, the uh, the populace of Flanders is pretty pissed, and uh, the the nobles largely supported the French kings. Uh, the largely rural working class hoped that no matter how shitty the situation was, and it was rapidly getting worse, that they at least get a fair deal out of the whole thing, uh, because the patricians of the city really controlled like several different monopolies. There was no like equal distribution of wealth or food. They'd be busting their ass and these people were incredibly rich. All peasants were, you know, medieval peasants and having a horrible, horrible, horrible life. All the time. So, yeah. Well, unfortunately for them, there would be no fair shake. A guy named Jacques de Chantillon was appointed the governor of the county 
and Jock was a world-renowned asshole. Yeah, with that name, he was a, it just sounds like one. Yeah, Jock. He was an aristocrat. He was an, that was actually my grandpa's uh, legion name. I do remember that. And he was an asshole, so yeah, it tracks. <laughs> um, now, Jacques was not a statesman. He was an aristocrat who had won his glory in battle, like over in the, the I think the Aragonese Crusade. So, like, he was a soldier. He had no business running a county. Uh, and he he yeah he he saw the ledgers and was like, we could help, we could rise taxes. So, like, he 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 started raising taxes over and over and over again. But he, but the, uh, the French King was careful to make sure that he didn't piss off the nobles. So pretty much all of these taxes were on people who were subsistence farmers for the most part. So like, yeah, he's literally taxing people who are starving. What an asshole. Yeah. He's not great. It didn't take long for the people of Flanders to get so pissed. Um, that they just decided they weren't going to take this lying down. That's enter the guilds of Flanders. Yes. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, now, the easiest way to explain guilds is that they're. I'm just going to compare them to unions, though this is a very imperfect comparison. I know. Don't yell at me. Uh, but it's an easiest. It's an easier way to explain this. The guilds were full of art artisans and craftsmen. Um, that, like, being a member of the guild meant that the guild made sure you weren't exploited. Once the guild exploited you, then you're kind of up shit's creek without a paddle, which did happen. Uh, but by doing this, they accumulated they accumulated large amounts of wealth and political power. So, like, the guilds weren't necessarily nobles, but they they could sway nobles' opinions because of how powerful they were. Oh, yeah. Furthermore, the guilds were the main organizational method of military power within Flanders, which is badass. So, local militia, uh, the the local. Flemish militia, militia units would organize, train, and march within the ranks of their guild rather than any unifying group. What? Yeah. So it's like if the UAW had a fucking militia. It's awesome. This got better. This is awesome. Yeah. It's going to get even better for the guilds. Uh, and like the guilds did a lot to make sure that their militias were powerful. And, and like they trained, like they trained a lot. Um, they made sure, like um, in most medieval armies, you'd have to pay for your armor and weapons. Uh, the, the, the guilds paid for most armor and all weapons. All right, guild members, go ahead and gather around for this, uh, annual training we got going on. Yeah. Everybody sit down. We're going to do cyber awareness training. <laughs> Sir, computers have not been invented yet. Anyway, this is the slideshow on fishing. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, it's pretty cool. Uh, guilds aren't great and like they're full of bastards too, but like it's cooler than the count. I guess. But these were the powers that the French eventually pissed off and tipped the scales into uh, like the war side, which is a supremely bad idea. If you remember back uh, to the claws and lilies, this is where that split really starts to happen. As the guilds from all over Flanders approached the, the claw nobles, uh, which were this time were very, very few as most nobles had thrown their lot in with the French and the guilds uh, wanted the claw support, the noble claw support, to show the French that they were not going to put up with their shit. And these few claw nobles agreed. Oh, wow. Through the leadership of the Flanders guilds, uh, the fuck, let me try that again. <clears throat> Though the leadership of the Flanders guilds militias and their, I don't know, insurgents, aren't they greatest with rebels maybe, uh, would not fall under nobles, but rather a weaver named Pierre de Conic and a butcher named Jan Bridel. Uh, did you pronounce any of those names correctly? Yeah, probably. Oh, nice. Uh, the tipping point for this whole thing was actually uh, wool. Like, sheep's wool. What? Yep, that was it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you know, this is definitely a straw that broke the camel's back situation, but it's always really funny to see what the breaking point is. Yeah. So, for years, the bourgeoisie trades class, uh, classes of Bruges uh, had a monopoly on the trade of wool. So... By that, I mean the tradesmen are, some of them are aristocrats, a lot of them are just rich dudes, but they controlled a, a monopoly on the trade of wool within the city of Bruges uh, because they had a deal with the king of England that they'd have to deal directly with them rather than selling it into the market or to the people that would actually use it for like weaving and, I don't know, wool crafts. <laughs> wool craftsmanship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and these happen to be the same people that threw their lot in with Phil. 
uh, the, these rich and aristocratic types. And the king of England, who wanted to spite the king of France, decided, fuck those guys, I'm going to sell it directly to the tradesmen at the bottom, completely cutting out the middleman. And taking so the main reason that this is important is that these tra- that these bourgeoisie tradesmen on the top would make their riches by jacking up the price of wool, and then selling it, and then skimming that off their gain. So uh, by selling it directly into the people that needed it, uh, that they, they could get it for much cheaper, which immediately pissed off all these guys, uh, who then called up the king of France, like, "Hey, the king of England's fucking up our sweet deal." You need to force them to stop. So Phil deployed French troops to Bruges uh, to force this trade from stopping, um, which shocked and terrified the entire population of Bruges. So during the uh, the initial stages of the of the war before the uh, the treaty and before everybody got thrown in prison, the French troops uh, had gotten a very earned reputation for being pretty much butchers and terrorists during the invasion. Of Flanders, like they they would slaughter anyone they came across, men, women, or child, soldiers, civilian. It did not fucking matter. It was just like just destroy everything. So, the you know the people of Bruges seeing like French troops there were like, oh fuck, it's gonna happen again. We're fucked. Yeah. So Jan and uh, uh, Pierre decided. Or sorry, it's not Pierre. It's Peter. Wait, what? Jan and Peter. <laughs> no yeah, fucking I fucked way. It up. It's Peter. Yeah, it's Peter DeConnick. Uh, so it's not Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Jan and uh, Peter decided they would have to uh, uh, be beat the French to the punch of all the slaughter. Right, like we got to kill them first before they come for us. Ooh, I like that mindset. Slaughter yeah. first, no mercy. The only thing that stops a war, a bad war criminal, is a good war criminal. Am I right, folks? <laughs> Am I right? Hey, 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 hey. Anyway. This is the uh, the first day of the Robert Bale stand-up. Um, <laughs> that was God dark even it. for us. God that was, that's dark even yeah, for us. So uh, Jan and Peter rallied their guild allies and, and took to the streets of Bruges on the night of May 18th, 1302. So one of the weapons that they were armed with was a strange, specifically... Flemish weapon that that they had built themselves. Belgian it was waffle a, irons. It's the, it's, it's nunchucks with waffles on the end. <laughs> that is making me hungry for some reason. Right. Um. A, so it was a combination of a metal club with a spike on top of it. What? Yeah, and the spike was specifically made so it could target the weak spots in knight's armor, and they could use the hammer or the club to fucking smack them. And get them on the ground, then mob them and stab them through the like the weak parts in the armor. Oh God! <laughs> so this weapon got its name, which we'll get to, because they were while they were armed with this weapon, the town was uh, flooded with Frenchmen and and like people that came from France to trade and French troops, just French people in general. All of these were valid targets uh, to the guilds, but because white people all looked the same, the guildsmen couldn't be sure of who was who. So they would enter homes, every home in the city, and then speak to them in Flemish, which is the greeting of the day, which was Godin dog or Gun dog, one of the two. It pretty much translates to good day. If they could not correctly answer in Flemish, they would get fucking brained by this weapon, <laughs> which gave the weapon its name, the Godin dog. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, which is, you know, it's like Guten Tag, but slightly different. That's uh, like the easiest way to explain it, but it means good day. So the weapon is literally named good day. Now there is other apocryph- apocryphal um, stories of how this weapon got its name. I choose to believe this one. That's a good one. I like that one. I mean, not the weapon. Yeah. <laughs> it's used. I mean, I'm a pretty big fan of it. Uh, I mean, would it, wouldn't it? All right, boys, cover your flappy folds. <laughs> <laughs> Here they come with the goon talk. <laughs> Everybody cover your soft spots. You <laughs> up the stabby boys. <laughs> oh, and they come in like uh, West Side Stories with the snapping. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, that, I feel like that's how all Claw and Lily debates were settled. <laughs> so through the course of the night, Flemish insurgents using this method killed around 2,000 people. What? <laughs> 
what if they were funny fucking up the greetings and people were just like, huh? And just wham, wham. <laughs> Sir, I'm from Germany. Hit him with the stick. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck. Now this is specifically in the city of Bruges. So which is funny. Have you ever seen the movie In Bruges? No, I haven't. So it's a really weird movie, but like uh, Colin Farrell's the main character, and the whole time he just talks about how boring the city of Bruges is. Colin Farrell's in it? Yeah, he what? plays an assassin with like PTSD. I it's kind of an him. interesting movie. But like, it, whenever he says he's like, fucking Bruges, this place fucking sucks. But apparently it used to be cool, so that's nice. Yeah. Maybe we should go. Just stopping over to Belgium and start saying, <laughs> why, why are these people in a strange accent keep saying good day to me with a spear in their hand? <laughs> yeah. But uh, one person they were not able to get was the governor himself who ran with, with the few surviving French nobles. Yeah, you wouldn't catch me in Bruges. I'd be out of there. After the slaughter, the, ci- the cities of Flanders centralized the rebellion, coming under the command of John I, who was Guy's son. Though the city of Ghent took the side of the French, deciding not to join the rebellion and saying that they were not going to send any troops. Uh, we're just not going to do anything. I guess they forgot they didn't control them, and we'll get to that. Uh, the few noble claws that had leaned in the direction of Guy's side were terrified at the vast slaughter of the French and ran to the French. Now, a lot of this had to do with the fact that like, what they watched was a whole bunch of like commoners slaughter noblemen throughout the course of a night. So, like, they were like, wait, this has nothing to do with the French. They're coming for all the nobles. Which, like, n- admittedly, uh, that was some of their, like, the like, there's no centralized theme of rebellion here. Like, some people are like, yeah, fuck the nobles. And other people are like, yeah, fuck the nobles and the French. And then some people are like, fuck everyone who isn't us. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, big tent, I guess is a good way to put it. Big tent. Uh, now, now at this point, Phil knew he would have to send forces to crush this little Flemish club spear party. So he dispatched Count Robert II with a massive army behind him to do this job. Now, Robert had about 3,500 knights and men-at-arms, which, if you remember, is just kind of a different kind of knight. Um, not really going to go into that too much. Not important. Heavy, Heavy-armored stabby boys. And a lot and thousands on horseback, mm. which is the which is the important part here is the is the the importance of of heavy knight uh, mounted knights in medieval warfare. Okay. Now um, he also had about thirty five hundred other infantry, a thousand pikemen, and a thousand crossbowmen. Some of whom were mercenaries that he purchased in Italy. Oh wow! Hey, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess they got uh, their bow hand. I don't fucking know. It's a crossbow, so he's got to cock it and load it full of dry spaghetti. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fuck, that trigger guard has to be giant. Probably. Shove their giant breadstick hands in there. <laughs> yeah. Now, everybody thought this battle or this war was going to be a bit of a joke. Not because the Flemish were thought to be pushovers. Everybody did know them to be good fighters, but because of warfare of the day. If you remember back during our Agincourt episode, the way of the war was uh, of, of, of the day was sending in heavily armored knights on horseback as shock troops to break up enemy infantry formations, and then sending in a- infantry to like kind of exploit the breaks once you break up the enemy formation. Cavalry was expensive, as the men would bring their own armor, their own horses, etc. Uh, like pretty, they're all on the hook for their own expenses. Yeah, a lot of logistics go into fucking feeding an army. At- not to mention the horses that come with the army. Yeah, and this meant all of the heavy-mounted horsemen were knights, therefore nobility. Remember oh, how I talked about fuck. the Yeah. Remember how I talked about the nobility drain leaving the Flemish effort and setting with the French? Yes. That means the rebels lost all of their heavy cavalry as well, leaving them with as few as 10 knights. Oh fuck. Two face down 2500. Now Sources differ on this. Some put the number as low as 10. Um, others put it around 300, some 400. But regardless of what number you throw at those, regardless of which of those numbers you believe, those odds still fucking suck. Yeah. Life is fucking you. The thought of the day was, if you didn't have knights on horseback, you did not have much of an army. Now, facing this array of knights was the Guild Militia of Flanders. Don't let the name Militia fool you. 
These are not overweight plate carrying douchebags that your Capitol Hill refusing to put a mask on. <laughs> they uh, are mostly very well armed, very well trained, and very well disciplined. Most had at least chain armor and metal helmets. Some had plate armor, though the guilds would not foot it out the bill for plate armor. They only bought chain uh, because they could afford it for thousands of people. Right. Uh, they also had an assortment of the of the goaden dogs, some spears, pikes, and crossbows. Altogether, the militia was able to muster between 8,000 and 10,000 men. Though, n- numerically, this is superior to the French, but that was not thought of as a benefit at the time. Even though the city of Ghent refused to join the rebellion, the guilds of Ghent all disagreed and sent thousands of men to meet up with John for the war against the French. <laughs> Like the, the guild rep is like, sir, you don't understand. We ro- we run this motherfucking city. <laughs> we own you. While Robert moved into Flanders, the militia struck first, laying siege to, siege to a French castle. Nice. This wasn't. Now there's some disagreement on whether this tactic was to bottle the French up and keep them busy, or to actually take the castle. But the fact remains is it was a like they're trying to buy time so they could lay defensive works in a battle they knew was coming. The Flemish soldiers prepared their defenses along the banks of a river so their backs would be facing a giant bend. And the bend was so far on each side of them that it kind of formed a peninsula. So, like, oh, okay. I see. They were surrounded on three sides by water. That yeah. meant if any attack came, it had to come directly at them and flanking would be impossible. In front of them, the soldiers would begin digging. They redirected streams that run through fields in front of them, turning them to shitty marshland. They dug up dozens of ditches, filling them with spiked sticks, debris, and and logs and stuff. Um, At the very least, it would stop charging horses in their tracks who would not willingly run into them. And sometimes horses did just fall into them and, like, fuck their legs up and stop them from being effective. Yeah. You get an Agincourt vibe. Oh, yeah. After weeks of preparation, the siege failed, and the Flemish forces fell back into their defensive positions against the river. And on July 11th, which is, look at the date, Nick, today! <laughs> we did something. God damn we were, it. So, no shit, I wrote this over the last three days, and I had no idea we would be recording today. Nailed it, boys! Put the, put the banner up. We did it. Put the fucking banner up. The victory banners? Yep, we got one. So on the on July 11th, the two f- sides faced each other down on opposite sides of the field. Now the French weren't fucking blind; they saw what was in front of them. Like, wow, these Flemish people really laid a trap for us. So instead of like withdrawing to fight another day, uh, they ordered servants forward to put planks of wood over ditches and streams and stuff that had been cut to like lay a path for their forces. Now this may have worked if the French sent out troops to like say, protect these guys or something, you know, give them weapons that defend themselves, but they didn't. So Flemish forces simply walked out and murdered them as they worked. Jesus Christ. Good day. Whap. (laughs) Left with with nothing else to do, the French decided to say, fuck it, I guess we're going into battle anyway. And they deployed their crossbows forward uh, to face off against their Flemish counterpart crossbowmen. Now the French won by sheer force of numbers, and the outnumbered uh, Flemish crossbowmen withdrew, and uh, Robert was an idiot, though. He knew that this battle was, uh, was going to be won by horses, but he also knew he couldn't commit them to the field as the Flemish had arrayed themselves in a giant wedge formation with all of their pikes and gone dogs faced outwards. So, like... He knew that the uh, the cavalry would be sprinting directly into a wall of spears, which is bad. Uh, he knew that the knights were heavily armored and this, that, the other, and they could probably win. But the terrain was, you know, not great for large formations of horses due to all the obstacles. So he sent in the infantry, uh, which was, you know, good on Robert for doing that. Um, now, foot soldiers armed with swords and stuff are uh, who are also heavily armored. Uh, now there was some light infantry as well, but many, most of them were have more heavily armored than their Flemish counterparts. Uh, but they were also supported by crossbowmen for like fire support. Right. That's a, so that combined arms warfare, though. Uh, but like uh, these guys could fight the Flemish pike formations much more successfully than the horse, and they did. 
Um, and the Flemish, for their credit, didn't expect this. They're like, they're going to come at us with knights immediately. Uh, so they were kind of unprepared to fight light infantry. And the light infantry with um, with, the, with the crossbow support uh, pretty much started winning. Like the Flemish were breaking, their, fort, their really? line was breaking. Yeah, and the light infantry were winning the day. It's pretty crazy. Uh, and the Flemish were like, fuck, we don't have anything prepared for this. We didn't expect this, right? So like Robert was shrugged and said, okay, fight's over. Time to set on the cavalry. Now, he saw his infantry making headway and decided that was all he needed. He gave the order for his infantry to withdraw and his horses to move in. The problem was he gave these orders at the same time, and this is the 1300s, and communication is mostly screaming and flag-based. Are they going to... So, is it going to be like a bunch of friendly fucking stomping? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that one's oh, coming. Man. There's no nuances to his orders. The knights didn't know that they had to wait for the infantry to move out of the way, nor did they knew that the infantry with, were withdrawing at all. As far as they knew, they were just being sent in the fight. So the knights unfurled their banners and charged right in. Look, they tell me where to go, I go. Now, the dumbest part is this wasn't even needed, but rather it was a case of Robert doing it the quote-unquote honorable thing by allowing the victory to be sealed by nobles rather than the commoners and not so noble infantry it was remember during Agincourt when now Agincourt happens a significant amount of time after this battle but right the the line is the same remember how he had a the, the commander had a hard time controlling his troops because they were nobles and they wanted to go win glory yeah virtually the same thing here um he knew that he had about you know 2500 nobles on horseback who'd be really royally pissed off no pun intended, uh, if uh, like they showed up to this battle and didn't get to do some killing and win some glory, you know? So, Makes sense. Why not? Yeah, it, it turns out Robert's actually just a big, dumb fucking idiot. Um, and the knights charged in. And it, so it's tens of different units and uh, formations numbering around 250 men apiece. And they ran to the obstacles that had been dug, by that, dug for them, the marshlands, all those things that we already talked about, right? And that did exactly what they was supposed to do, which was break up their formations. So like 250 men can't move in a block through all that stuff. So it'd be like ones and twos, tens here. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be what you need it. And in some places the horses refused to move over the obstacles and other places they collapse into the ditches, crushing their legs and killing their knights, whatever it may be. Um, still other horsemen plowed right through them and through the infantry that was trying to withdraw. Fuck. Yikes. By the time the horsemen got to Flemish lines, the groups had been reduced significantly in the like the numbers that they would attack in groups. So like the 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 shock value is gone. There's no 250 men slamming against one specific part of a line. Yeah. Um so when these smaller groups of horsemen hit the line, the Fle- the Flemish infantry held and then they would they would hold the the horsemen in place by the the pikes because horses, by nature, do not want to charge through spears, right? Like it it uh, goes against. I would hope everybody has that in them. Right, that's why pikes are so effective. And then when they did that, they would then surround individual knights, drag them off their horses, and then stab them through the eye slits with their goon dogs. Stab, 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 stab. Or just brain them, and or like in other places, they would. Um, pull them down, beat them unconscious, and then stab them to death and stuff like that. <laughs> Sounds like the, the knights are just getting jumped. Yeah, pre- it, it was pretty much like fucking prison got. Like, <laughs> yeah. some Flemish guy's walking up with a knife, stabbing him a couple times and passing it off to another guy who's walking by. Then then, then another guy, like, gives a, a grip of money to a guard who's there for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, folks, we uh, we call this infantry formation the CDCR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, while all this is happening, Robert noticed that he had been fucked. Uh, he, he watched small groups of knights being mobbed by Flemish infantry and getting drugged down and dehorsed and stabbed over and over again. He knew his horsemen had no momentum and their morale was starting to go, too, because they're watching all their friends get fucking got. So... Um, and he also knew that he wasn't going to break their line anymore. He needed to like get his men to rally and fight these dudes hand to hand. So as the nobles began to break, Robert and his guard rode into battle, battle to personally rally them to the cause. Now, if you thought 
this is going to turn the tide of this battle. You must be new to the show. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Robert and his guard, like many others, are surrounded and ruthlessly beaten and stabbed to death. Jesus. <laughs> Almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I'll lead you into... <gasps> Someone with a fucking broken off broomstick just shoves it into his <laughs> yeah. kidneys. After that, the French army broke and ran for it. And that's not where this battle ends. <laughs> so... If you're familiar with medieval warfare or the show and you listen to the Agincourt episode, you know that it was very, very normal and commonplace for people to take captives in the day. So they, I guess POW would be an easy way to ex- explain it. So they could ransom them off back to their noble families for large sums of cash. Right, cash. Right. You remember that, right? The French also assumed that was going to be the case here. So most of the infantry who knew who they were or people who had lost their horses um, had just surrendered. They're like, whatever, I'll just get ransomed off. And then they found out that the Flemish people had absolutely no time for that bullshit. They took zero captives. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you can ransom me off. Oh, God! Oh, shit! Don't you know Just who like, I am? Pierre, get the golden dog. <laughs> Do you know who my father is? Yeah, we'll kill him, too. <laughs> the fucking Everyone who's wearing boat shoes in a fucking red <laughs> shirt. Over his night shit. Why is there a yacht parked in the middle of this field? <laughs> but it's got bikes in it. Don't you know what think tank my father works for? Uh, but yeah, as they surrendered, they were murdered in probably the most horrible, gruesome way possible that can be inflicted upon them in a very quick fashion. Oh my god. And this did not end quickly. The Flemish troops chased the French for six miles. What? Now remember, they're on foot. Yeah. They're just like running. They're they're just running them down. Have you ever seen the other guys? Yes. It's like the scene where Christina and the crazy husband go after Will Ferrell. Have sex with my <laughs> wife. Holy shit! That was tw- like twenty miles away. Oh shit! In the end, at the cost of only around two hundred militiamen, the what? Flemish rebels killed two thousand Frenchmen. Holy shit! Many of whom were the nobles that made up their mounted forces. Most of the French that died were the knights. What? Which brings us to how the battles got their name. So after looting the corpses of the French, the Flemish recovered 500 sets of golden spurs. Now, golden spurs would only be owned by very high-ranking men and very rich nobles. Now the Flanders can use it as uh, ornaments around their rearview mirror. (laughs) Just like I do. <laughs> well, wouldn't you know it? These <laughs> these spurs are just a god dang doodliest thing. <laughs> god damn it, Ned. Uh, some of those high-ranking nobles that they killed were, uh, uh, outside of like Robert II, which we covered, were also Raoul of Clermont, Whoa. the constable of all of France. Uh, weirdly enough, the constable of France was also killed during the Battle of Agincourt. Wow. Must be a shitty job to have. Yeah. Guy the first of Clermont, the marshal of France, and uh, Pierre de Float, the uh, king's <laughs> personal chief advisor. The king's personal float. Yeah. Uh, as well as dozens and dozens of other high-ranking counts and dukes and shit. Jesus. Unfortunately, the Flemish people won the battle, but not the war leading to a humiliating treaty that ended the war in 1305. Um, and, you know, but this battle is, you know, and the, the the conflict with France is one of the reasons why Belgium exists today. So, like, they they won in the long run, I guess. Um, but also the, you know, the, the effects of this battle on warfare itself were very long-lasting. Uh, that being warfare fought by rich dudes on horseback, uh, fell out of favor as lords realized just a bunch of poor boys with pointy sticks could royally fuck their shit up if they had a little bit of training. Yeah. Um, which is why, like, now nobles continued to do dumb shit, like demand that they be at the front line so they could win glory and this, that, and the other thing. But it also turned into largely, it was like called the infantry revolution. And people became, like, armies became much more infantry based. Right. Um, one of the results being the Battle of Agincourt. Which, like you saw, that uh, what England did to revise their military, which then stomped the French. Um, I mean, and again, killed the 
the constable of France and the marshal of France. <laughs> and the floor Weird how they keep saying, not another float. It's just a giant <laughs> Macy's Day Parade float <laughs> that show, <laughs> shows a fleur de lis or something. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is one, go listen to the Battle of Agincourt episode. It's one of my Good favorite. One. Even I if liked I, it. Even if we pronounce the battle wrong the entire time. Uh, but How's it pronounced? The Battle of the Gold... Agincourt. We pronounce it Agincourt. 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 Yeah, we pronounce it wrong. Yeah. Not good. Now, um, the Battle of the Golden Spurs remains a milestone in uh, the historic Flemish struggle for national liberation. And some consider that struggle to continue to this day. So, like, way to go, stabby boys. You did it. Wow. So, Nick, we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. Ooh, good suspense. If you'd like to ask a question from the Legion, you can donate to the show, and uh, you can ask us one. Now, this one should be good. What is your what is the most far far fetched conspiracy theory, or one that is kind of your favorite? Not one that you believe necessarily, but one that is your favorite. Because we've already talked oh. about which ones we kind of believe. Like during our, yeah, I think yeah, it was our hundredth yeah, yeah. episode. It, it definitely was during that. One uh, that's so far fetched that I think it's hilarious. Ooh, yeah, you go first. I I mean, some that are so far-fetched are obviously like the 5G ones that we're seeing today. But I think my favorite one is definitely QAnon. And I don't say that because I believe in QAnon, obviously. I say that because it's like this all-encompassing thing that swallows all... It's like that fucking shitty anti-semitic cartoon from back in the day where it shows an octopus grabbing shit um it, but it's like QAnon snatching up other conspiracy theories and absorbing it into itself yeah um and there's a great podcast that covers it from like mocking it called QAnon Anonymous which is amazing and I highly recommend that you listen to it no I'm not being paid to plug their show nor have I ever been on it it's that good um <laughs> uh, uh but if you're listening boys Put me on the show. Nick, what's your favorite one? <laughs> As of right now, it has to be the um, the coronavirus fucking fluke, I guess, is what people say. But there's so many nuances within that conspiracy theory. Like, there's the 5G one. Do you mean, like, there's it's a bioweapon one? No, no. that It's it's all a whole cover-up just to cover up, like, uh, election season and all that stuff. And that's all it's for. Oh, so it's not real. Right. Pretty much. So coronavirus is a crisis actor? Amazing. Much. And I, I hear I love that it. where I work all the time. I Oh, shit. Caveat to my favorite conspiracy theory, because this one's awful, but it's so unhinged that also QAnon recently swallowed it up, was that all of the cops and their victims of, and the victims of police violence oh. are all crisis actors. Yes. I fell into that, that rabbit hole on Twitter, and it is astounding. I heard about that one. And then the same person, I was like, well, what about uh, the 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 officer who killed that guy in Bofidi's city? And they're like, Bofidi's? I never heard of that. I was like, Bofidi's nuts. And then they blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Fighting the good fight. Yes, you're one dick joke at a time. There. Uh, so, Nick, thank you for joining me. Everybody. Thank you for joining us for this another wonderful addition or entry into the quarantine cast. Uh, one well, day I'll be out of this. Oh, for you. Oh, God. For me, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I am uh, currently on day six. How's 14. You know, it's not great. Um, <laughs> You're not even halfway. No, but you know what really makes it easier to get by is like I understand and and I'm totally fine with doing it. There's a lot of people like there's a lot of people who come to Hawaii and they think that like the cops aren't going to check on you or nobody's going to call you. I've already had both those things happen to me. So like they take this shit very seriously because this, uh, uh, you know, the you know, the Hawaii health system is pretty tenuous due to, you know, living on a fucking island 2000 miles away from the mainland. We don't have many ICUs. I think we might have like two for the whole state. Um, like the outlaying islands have emergency rooms and clinics, but like Oahu has, from my understanding, most of the health infrastructure 
So if we have a whole bunch of stupid fucking idiots come from the mainland, say during tourist season, this is directed towards anybody who comes here during tourist season if they open it in August like they're planning on. You will kill this state. Stay away. <laughs> like, I, I, I know I'm not sick, obviously, because I was, I was effectively quarantined before I came here. But I'm fine with, when I leave to, like, because I can walk down my driveway to pick up, like, the Instacart groceries that I live off of. I wear a mask because I'm not a fucking asshole. Right. <laughs> also, it's the goddamn law. So as people should be doing, wear a mask out in public. Yeah, wear a fucking mask. Where God, how dumb are you? I know this has absolutely nothing to do with our podcast, but like, if if I see one fucking person post another thing about like how wearing a, wearing a mask or whatever, my rights is, yeah, you know, Americans are fucking professionals when it comes to individualism, and it's going to kill everybody. Oh, yeah. Inconvenience is an oppression. You stupid suburbanite fucking dick. Shut up and put on a mask. God, I hate everybody. <laughs> you know, it, it's incredible how. Like 150,000 people are dead, but someone's like, but the, which brings us to another fucking wonderful conspiracy theory of like, if I put on a mask, I'll breathe in my own CO2 and die. Oh, yeah, health risks you know what? and whatnot. If that's true, good. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that's my rant. That's all I got. It's a good one. Um, but again, thank you for joining us. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening to the show. And uh, until next week, don't invade Flanders. I don't know. Oh, yeah, don't Stupid, do sexy Flanders. Later. I had to get one last one in. Yeah. <laughs>